0: You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts.
1: Welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and we're happy to bring you more fresh tennis content. With the WTA tour back in action after a five-month hiatus, Lexington, Kentucky ended up being the unlikely meeting place for some of the game's legendary faces and rising young talent. The inaugural top seed open couldn't have dreamed for a better field, with names such as Sloan Stevens, Victoria Azarenka, and Coco Gauff chomping at the bit to get back to playing some professional matches. But we start with none other than arguably the greatest siblings in sports history, Venus and Serena Williams. They met for the 31st time in Lexington, with Serena edging out a tight three-set thriller. Listen to Serena explains how she was able to grind out another victory over Big Sis, followed by expert analysis on TC Live from Paul Paulianicone, Chandra Rubin, and Steve Weissman.
2: Is there any other match you can remember being this high quality? Um. Yeah, there's a few. There's Australia 20, 2003, which I'll never forget was the most <laughs> difficult, one of the most difficult matches of my career. Um. Still don't know how I won that match, Um, but today was right up there. I would say it was one of the top five of all-time super competitive matches that we've played against each other.
0: Now that says all you need to know Paul which of these stats stand out to
3: you. Well look at the second serve points one look that tells you just about what the match was that close both of them so offensive off the return of serve. But to me Serena Williams just a little bit more relentless. She created 15 break uh, break points Um, and I think that that tells you uh, that uh, Venus had to work a little bit harder on her service game. So when you have that relentless pressure over time it builds but look Venus got up that break in the third set. She was up a break in the third set and, and could have served it out. Uh, she had one mid-court forehand that I felt like she didn't do enough on on a really big point. And, Chandino you know it's like against a great player? You give them this much room, they're going to find a way. And that's exactly what Serena did.
2: <laughs> yeah, once you kind of miss those opportunities. But there were so few of them. I mean, the, the quality, we kept talking about that during the course of the match. And you saw those stats with Serena serving the number of aces, 14 aces. Uh, Venus served well. I think it was six aces, but Mm -hmm. Serena just out-served her in the teeth of that match and then got on some big returns and just blasted them back. I think those were the key areas, I think, other than the competing, which they both did so well.
0: Serena said she has practiced in louder places, Paul. And and the fact that there was no fans, no crowd, it actually relaxed her.
3: What did you make of that? That was interesting to hear her say that. You know, I think that that can work a couple of different ways for great players. In a match like that, because they're two all-time greats, I think Serena's exactly right because there's enough pressure as it is. So without the crowd there, that's going to ease things for you. Now, if Serena was playing somebody that wasn't as high ranked, wasn't a great player, and there's no crowd, I think it's a huge advantage for the underdog because they don't have the crowd Mm. pulling for the all-time great. But in today's today's scenario, I think Serena's exactly right. It probably made both of them feel a little bit more relaxed.
2: She,
0: She also said, Chanda, the fact that she didn't come here to win. We never hear Serena say something like that. So so what's her mindset now?
2: Yeah, I think she's trying to take that relaxed approach and just build. Obviously, the expectation of coming out and playing your absolute best tennis first match out, first match out of the gate after six months, it's a little unrealistic. And she has been a player that can play her way into form, build as a tournament goes on. So I think it's more from that standpoint and certainly with the uncertainty of what it would be like playing with no crowds, playing under these different conditions and circumstances, having to make those adjustments, just taking a little pressure off of herself, but she She has handled it fantastically and I think certainly she's got to be eyeing some some bigger prizes along with this one.
1: Great stuff from our TC Live crew and shockingly Serena was upset in her very next match by American and former TC Live podcast guest I should point out Shelby Rogers. Congrats on making the semi, Shelby and keep it going in Lexington. Well from one established legend to another in the making 16 year old Coco Goff also made her return to tennis and she's picked up exactly where she left off. In the second round at the top seed open, she knocked off two-seed Irina Sabalenka, already the fourth top 50 win in her young career. Coco spoke with TC Live after the match, and our panel of experts broke down the continued meteoric rise and the maturity of Coco Golf.
0: I think I just, to be honest,
2: I mean, the pressure moments is what makes tennis fun. I mean, you don't always win them all the time, but it's what makes the sports interesting. So I just went in there to kind of have fun and see what I can do and see Um, how I would take the situation, and I just kind of went for it.
3: Well, the pressure moment's kind of fun. (laughs) I love the 16-year-old perspective. The pressure moment's kind of fun. I want to see how I do. I mean, that's how she rolls,
0: right? I mean, just cool, calm, collected.
2: Awesome. I mean, and that's the approach you want. So often, though, it's hard for players to kind of switch into that mentality because they want to win so badly. They're thinking of all these other things that have nothing to do with the actual tennis, and she just seems to get it. And it's incredible to watch her in practice. In matches and actually work through those situations the way she's telling us, this is not a fluke. It's no joke. That's how she thought about it, and the result it showed.
0: I mentioned she's perfect six and zero in tiebreaks in her young career. Also eight and two in three set matches. So when it comes down to the nitty gritty, what does that tell you about Coco Golf?
3: I just love her in the big moments. You know she's such a great athlete and she's such a good decision maker already at 16. Very rarely do you see her choose poor shots in big moments. She can rely on the footwork. She can rely on a solid foundation, and I think that's why she does so well in the tie breaks and in the third set is because she knows she moves well, she knows the strokes are sound, and very rarely do you see a silly shot choice.
0: All right, so she goes from Arena Sabalenka, who hits big and bigger, to Anz Jabor, who really changes things up. How should she approach this next match?
2: No, I think she'll approach it the way she does you know, all of her matches. I mean, we've literally seen her handle different opponents, different styles of play She hasn't faced them before, and she goes out there and she plays the pressure moments great. You know, she goes for her shot. She uses her serve. That's going to be big. I think she still hasn't gotten that going yet the way she would like, but the way she approaches these different matches, she does what it takes. She Mm. competes well, and that is something. It's hard to teach that in a young player, and she has it.
3: Yeah, she's such a naturally great competitor, and and you mentioned it, Jinder, her ability to kind of adapt to different styles of play, and I think a lot of that is because she has such a solid, foundation about her game you're right about her serve she 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 didn't serve great today a few double faults up and down first serve percentage went in and out so I think that's important tomorrow against Jabor. she's got to do a really good job on her serve and she's got to find a way to attack uh, the second serve when she's returning how
0: scary is that hasn't gotten her serve going yet and yet she yeah. just won her third top 12 match Maybe. she's back in the top 50.
1: and she kept it going with a victory over Ange Jabbour, another top 50 win, to make the semifinals at Lexington. future is incredibly bright for the fastest rising star in all of tennis. Well, the WTA Tour is back up and running, and the ATP is preparing to do the same. The latest update involves a still-unconfirmed plan reported by Italian journalist Luco Fiorino that the Italian Open will now be moved up a week to start on the clay on September 14th. That's the day after the U.S. Open men's final is set to be played, Paul Anacone, Chanda Rubin, and Steve Weissman share their thoughts on this rumored plan and what it will mean for the players looking to play both events.
0: Luca Fiorino uh, said the Italian Open could reportedly be moving a week sooner, September 14th to the 21st. So that was the week that we were supposed to have the Madrid Open. They canceled that event and uh, Rome could be moving to the week directly after the U.S. Open. What do you think about that?
2: Well, I think it gives a little more space for players, higher ranked players who would want to play Rome to then have a week in between that and Roland Garros. In normal years, you would not want to play the week before a major, particularly for the guys when they have to go out and play three out of five sets. So I think it makes sense from that perspective. Maybe it gives them a better chance of getting Rafa Nadal to play <laughs> and then be able to play Roland Garros, having everything you know go according to plan. So I think it makes sense from that perspective.
3: I think it's challenging uh, for the players that do well at the U.S. Open to come over and play in Rome and expect to do well U.S. Open, Rome, And the French Open, that's a lot of tennis, a lot of high-level tennis. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think you're right. It sets up perfectly for Nadal. It sets up perfectly for the better players that skip the U.S. Open to play that week in Rome, have a week off, and then then, uh, the French Open. But it's going to be interesting for all the players that try to do all three to see how they recover from three, especially on the men, to see them recover from three out of five sets on hard courts, fly and play two days later on clay, and then have to get the the clay feel under their feet pretty quickly.
0: It's a developing story. There were reports that potentially Hamburg could then move to the Rome spot, and players could still get that one extra week, the week right before Roland Garros, but we will keep you abreast of all the news here on TC Live.
1: Well, if this year's taught us anything, it's, that it's never too early to start planning and taking safety precautions, and the Australian Open appears to be doing just that. Tennis Australia has already set their health protocols for the 2021 Grand Slam in Melbourne. That includes five biosecure bubbles six weeks before the event and the prospect for 400,000 total fans. Paul Anacone, Chander Rubin, and Steve Weissman discuss the plans being made down under and whether the Australian Open schedule scheduled looks like a realistic possibility on the TC Live podcast.
0: Melbourne back in a full lockdown after a spike in COVID-19 cases. But Australian Open Tournament Director Craig Tiley and his team working hard to make sure the year's first major is held safely and on time. Here are the protocols. Five biosecure bubbles six weeks before the event. Mandatory masks, social distancing. They will expect to have 400,000 total fans. It's about half of what they are used to, full prize money could move to a future date but that's what they want right now paul what more can you
3: tell us well look i i think that you know craig tiley chief executive officer of tennis australia is trying to pivot and be creative you know he's one of the most creative leaders in tennis in my opinion and he's always thinking ahead when this first started the pandemic months and months ago he had his team already working on a bunch of different contingencies so They've got a blueprint right now, and obviously, as we've all seen, things change about every 10 minutes from what's going on out there. And I think this is a great sign that Tennis Australia is trying to figure out a way to make sure it works. It can change from that. It's still fluid. There's a lot of things that can change, but there's a lot of positive signs coming out of all those precautions and the protocols.
2: Yeah, it's been clear with with everything going on that Entities have to be flexible. They've got to be nimble. And, uh, you know, talking about a team, a crisis management team, putting together different scenarios. I think it was five different scenarios with the fifth one being Mm -hmm. no tournament at all. Um, Number one being holding it in the exact same way it's been held every year. I think it's obviously going to be somewhere in the middle, and there may be planning for that. I certainly think, as Paul said, they have been so creative in the past. They want to maintain their title as the happy slam. So <laughs> they want players over there still enjoying the experience, not having to quarantine, you know, that hard quarantine for 14 days. So I think it, it's going to be a great effort on their part. And they're certainly planning and, and starting early enough so that they can put the best situation in place.
0: Trying to make it as easy as possible for players. But as a former player, would you want to – I mean, this is your, your month off, right? Uh, would you want to get there six weeks Beforehand,
3: If you're going to do it, it's there, right? It's, it's, the, it's in Australia. It's during the winter months, summer down there. If you can do it, this is the time. For me as a player, I wouldn't mind doing it then because mm-hmm. that's the time to start up the year.
2: Got to do what you got to do. And, and most important is, is the health is, and safety of everyone and being able to play this event as completely as possible.
1: That's it for this week's episode of the TC Live podcast big thanks again to everybody both in front of and behind the camera for making this show exactly what it is intended to be a very great listen for tennis and sports fans alike And a reminder that you can catch every episode of the tc live podcast on the tennis podcast network tennis.com slash podcasts and wherever your podcasts are found on all your favorite devices and all your favorite applications for podcasts we live there we got a couple of shows lined up in the next couple of weeks that are going to be great to listen to. The Cincinnati event, the Western and Southern Open, is going to take place in New York, the same bubble that's going to be used for the U.S. Open. We'll have a preview of that event next week, as well as a U.S. Open preview in the following week, also in New York. So you're not going to want to miss that. The Tennis Tour Rage is on. It's great to have tennis back. It's great to have this show. And once again, it is great to have all of you out there listening. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live Podcast.